Welcome to the Journal of Inherited Metabolic Disease podcast. I'm James Nurse, the social media editor of the journal, and every fortnight I host some of our wonderful authors and ask them to explain their work to me. Inviting some of the biggest names in IMD to teach me is a slightly decadent way to learn, but I'm calling it a podcast which seems to make it okay. There's already lots to listen to, so be sure to check out our back catalogue, but not before listening to the latest episode on myocardial disease. Hello there, thank you for joining me for this episode discussing a recent paper looking at the phenotype and genotype of 197 British patients with myocardial disease. And it's a pleasure this morning to welcome one of the authors, Dr. Chiara Pizzamilio of the Neuromuscular Centre at Queen's Square in London. Uh, Chiara, thank you for speaking with me this morning. Thank you, James, for the invitation. Now, um, we've discussed glycogen storage disease type 3 in a previous podcast. Obviously, there are quite a few GSDs. What's different about type 5 or myocardial disease? Well, yes, glycogen storage disease type 5, also known as myocardial disease, is a genetic condition caused by recessive mutations in the PYGM gene on chromosome 11, encoding the muscle isoform of glycogen phosphorylase or myophosphorylase. So myocardial disease is the most common muscle glycogenosis with an estimated prevalence between one every 100, 150,000 people. The first description dates back to 1951 by the Scottish physician Brian McCarville, who suspected a deficiency in a glycogen metabolism in a patient who couldn't produce lactate during ischemic exercise. However, the underlying defect in muscle phosphorylase was described only in 1951. The deficiency of myophosphorylase prevents the metabolism of glycogen in skeletal muscle cells, leading to an inability to generate energy from glycogenolysis. In most affected people, there is no detectable glycogen phosphorylase activity. And the diagnosis is based on the inability of the patient to produce lactate during a forearm exercise test, the lack of muscle glycogen phosphorylase activity on muscle biopsy, and the identification of recessive variants in the PYGM gene. And I mean, I've spoken quite a lot about adult IMDs recently, and notably I spoke to your um, Queen Square colleague, Dr. Lackman, about them. And it, it does seem this is more of an, an adult disease. Obviously, it's an, an inherited disorder, though. Is it fair to say it's just a disease of adults? Well, that is not entirely correct. In fact, as we showed in our paper, of the 197 patients we have included, 183 were symptomatic during childhood, usually in the first decade. Common symptoms are inability to run more than 100 meters, to keep up with peers at school, or they may collapse and vomit during sporting activities. But despite those symptoms, the diagnosis is usually made in adulthood, at the mean age of 34 years in our cohort. This means that there is a diagnostic delay of around 20 years, meaning a diagnostic odyssey for patients who are misdiagnosed with growing pain, laziness, being unfit, or in certain cases with a psychiatric or psychological condition. We can see that misdiagnosis plays an important part in delaying implementation of appropriate medical advice and management for patients. 
scaring me now. I'm a general paediatrician. I see these children. I hope I don't lay any of them as lazy. But this is the challenge, isn't it? You see children with potentially ultra-rare disease, but growing pains, for example, is quite common. Uh, vomiting with no cause, fatigability that we don't find a cause for. Is there a, a simple way of differentiating which of these children have a very rare GSD and which of these children don't? Well, first of all, the presence of rhabdomyolysis episodes can distinguish those patients and a simple blood test, including CK measurement, can help because those patients, they always have high CK between episodes of rhabdomyolysis. So a normal normal CK should mean no GSD failure? The CK is normal, yes. And you're talking about CK, is this right to call it a myopathy? Uh, Well, yes, myocardial disease has always been considered a pure myopathy, but as we show in our paper, there may be other extramuscular manifestations as well. The most common muscular symptoms of myocardial disease are exercise intolerance with muscle pain and tachycardia at the beginning of physical activities, muscle fatigue, contractures and episode of rhabdomyolysis induced by brief, intense, isometric and anaerobic exercise. Episodes of rhabdomyolysis can be complicated by renal failure and requirement of dialytic treatment. The second wind phenomenon is constantly recognized in these patients and it's characterized by an improvement of exercise-induced myalgia and tachycardia after a short period of rest with the ability to resume the exercise easily eight, 10 minutes after the onset. Also in older patients, uh, fixed muscle weakness in paraspinal muscles and in proximal upper and lower limbs can be observed. Indeed, from recent observations, we know that the expression of myophosphorylase is not only restricted to skeletal muscles, but it has been recently found in human T lymphocytes, retinal pigment epithelium cells, and thyroid follicular epithelial cells. So our hypothesis was that other extramuscular manifestation could be present in myocardial subjects. So it's quite a well-established phenotype. You looked at 197 patients. It's a really impressive cohort for rare disease. Were your findings consistent with what's been described before? Well, yes. In our cohort, uh, we have found a high prevalence of retinal and thyroid comorbidities, which was uh, surprising. So regarding thyroid disease, hypothyroidism was the most common alteration. Uh, In Britain, the prevalence of hypothyroidism is 2% in the general population, while the frequency we observed in our cohort was more than 12%. Regarding the retinal alterations, 36% of patients that underwent an ophthalmic screening were found to have the pattern retinal dystrophy, which is an historic term used to describe a retinal phenotype that is characterized by foci of pigment deposition in the retina. With time, cellular dysfunction results in outer retinal atrophy and consequently loss of vision when the central macula is affected. So our results describe for the first time in a large population of myocardial patients, the presence of retinal and thyroid comorbidity. The finding uh, was surprising and may support the hypothesis that mutation in PYGM 
might cause disruption of extramuscular tissues. And this is corroborated by the fact that PYGM is expressed in several tissues, including thyroid and retina. And is it likely you'd see patients presenting primarily with, with retinal and thyroid findings, or is this something that you're going to get in someone who's got established disease? No, it's something that you can find in patients with an established disease. Aside from those eye signs and the thyroid disease, were you able to expand the clinical phenotype further? Yes. So in fact, apart from the thyroid and retinal comorbidities, we have also described some new features including the presence of mild, moderate bilateral ptosis in myocardial patients. And we have described the presence of hyperuricemia and gout in a large cohort of patients. And with regards to the genotype, were there any new insights that came from that? Yes, the number of uh, pathogenic mutations in PYGM gene continues to increase thanks to the development of NGS techniques. And so far, more than 150 pathogenic variants have been described. Uh, most frequent mutations are missense, followed by deletions, nonsense mutations, or mutations affected uh, the RNA splicing. In our cohort, as expected, almost 50% of patients were homozygous for the HAR50X pathogenic variant, which is the commonest Caucasian stop codon pathogenic variant. But we also described seven previously unpublished pathogenic variants, expanding the genotype of myocardial disease and facilitating the diagnosis for other patients. And you've talked about sort of the widespread impact of PYGM mutation. Something that struck me as I got to the end of the paper was that you mentioned it has an impact on glycosylation. The IMD world is full of glycomaniacs. Um, I suspect there'll be a few listening. Is myocardial disease a congenital disorder of glycosylation? What we know from recent studies is that myophosphorylase is not just involved in glycogen lysis. In fact, the absence of the enzyme does not only affect the ability to generate ATP, but from recent studies, we have learned that it also has an impact in the post-translational modifications that happen in intracellular proteins. Post-translational modifications are uh, modifications of a protein following its biosynthesis, and they are important components of cell signaling. Approximately 2 to 5% of intracellular glucose enters this cascade, and post-translational modifications or glycosylation process is involved in cellular survival signals, response to acute, acute stress, and tumor growth. Mutations in PYGM gene results in lower post-translational modification or glycosylation with a clear impact in the function of some proteins and affecting other tissues other than skeletal muscles. Therefore, it seems that the role of PYGM is broader than expected, including cell regulatory functions that impact intracellular processes. But in this regard, uh, mechanistic studies showing how post-translational modification processes are altered in myocardial patients uh, may be the focus of future research. So in short, is it a CDG? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, not strictly. So those mechanisms are uh, involved, but they are secondary. Okay, we won't let them claim this one then. Um, now, 
you're from a centre for neuromuscular disease. This is clearly one of your areas of expertise. Um, but for those of us who are less expert, I'm thinking of myself, but there'll be others listening. What's the important message to take away from this? So with this paper, we hope to increase awareness of myocardial disease among pediatricians and other doctors when facing patients with exercise intolerance at the beginning of exercise, episodic rhabdomyolysis, high CK between episodes, and second wind phenomenon. Tosis and scapular winging are frequent clinical features of myocardial disease and should be included in the differential diagnosis. Our study also highlights that myocardial disease is not purely a disease of skeletal muscles. Based on the results of our study, in the routine management of people with myocardial disease, we would suggest annual screening for thyroid function and uric acid. Ophthalmology referral should also be considered to evaluate the presence of pattern retinal dystrophy, especially in presence of symptoms of reduced visual acuity. However, we acknowledge that further studies are needed to confirm a causative link between thyroid and retinal involvement and PYGM mutation. Perfect. I know for me that's a very useful take home to just make sure that CK is being done and that we're considering those episodes of rhabdomyolysis. Chiara, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear from you. Thank you so much for taking the time this morning to speak with me. Thanks, James. And if you're listening and you'd like to read that paper, then please go to our journal web pages and search for phenotype, genotype, McCardle disease, or just click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to listen to more episodes, including an overview of USD type 3, then just search the internet for JMD podcasts and find us wherever you like to listen. And uh, other than that, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>